Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily French Show. It is Friday, it is the end of the week. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and I'm joined today by Herban van Heerden. Kerry, how are you doing? Hi, Nick. Hi, Sora. Uh, I'm good. It's Friday, so I don't have too many complaints. Yeah. Indeed, it's very much the same here. And, of course, I'm joined by Sara Gon. Sara, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm just waiting for the weather to warm up, and then we'll go. Um, just before we start, I've been very excited by the news of a new country landing on the moon, and this time it is in fact India, which has managed to successfully land a uh, craft at the uh, southern lunar pole, and it is going to deploy a rover which is going to look for water on the moon, which is quite interesting. Um, so I'm going to look at that program uh, with interest. It also, I think, says some interesting stuff about the way that India is changing as a country, uh, uh, and it's becoming much more technologically advanced. But anyway, um, let us start off with our first story. And this is regarding, I think, possibly one of the most famous whistleblowers in South Africa, that is Bobita Diokran, who was murdered after blowing the whistle on corruption at Tembisa Hospital. Corruption, which I don't think the government or any law enforcement authorities have really done too much about yet. Anyway, on the second anniversary of her murder, six men were accused of being involved in her murder, uh, uh, doing sort of basically the logistics for the murder, uh, were, were uh, pled guilty and were sentenced to to various sentences in the Gauteng High Court earlier this week. Um, their sentences ranged from, I think the, the lowest one was about six years and the highest one was 22 years in prison. So it looks like got uh, some of them at least pretty harsh sentences. But the real problem here is that the person who ordered the hit, presumably someone involved with the corruption at Tembisa Hospital, was not on trial, has not been found, it's not been proven who they are, and it's not clear if they ever will be. Uh, and also, apparently, the person who actually pulled the trigger was not arrested here. So, not great to my mind. Um, the, uh, the, the judge was not particularly satisfied, saying there are people in this matter who are not named, their actions have caused great pain to Bobita's family and have left her daughter to live with the loss of her mother. The uh, uh, Bobita's brother said, yes, justice has been served, but I see no remorse in any of them. Sarah, um, I'm glad these guys are going to jail, but not a very satisfying conclusion. What do you make of this? Um, it's interesting because I suspect, and it comes out in something the... Uh, uh, Gauteng National Prosecuting Authority spokesperson um, Pindim Jonundwane said um, he said the, the authorities were looking into certain people of quote certain people of interest named during the plea and sentence negotiations so in other words I, it looks like it wasn't revealed at the at the plea at the plea hearing and that may have been and I'm speculating but that may have been because they really don't want it kept out of the public domain by virtue of by very virtue nature of the fact that the people they are looking at um will you, you know resorted to these these methods to get rid of a, a a whistleblower so i i because i suspect that those negotiations were not 
um, did not, we're not done without sort of, we will give you a plea bargain, lower your sentence if you, unless you, and I'm sure that, I'm sure that, I'm sure that has gone on that, because they say that they've provided us with information that will get us the mastermind. Now, obviously I would assume that none of them know who the mastermind is. They will only know, and maybe not all of them, but one or two, maybe three of them will know who gave them the job. Um, so the next level up. And so you'd have to go from the next level and keep on working up. So I don't think it look. I don't think it's entirely hopeless, but I, I think that that might be a rationale for not uh, for not, not actually raising it in the in the in in the plea in, in the plea hearing. Um, I, I, no, look. I mean, in in a way, these guys are they, they are incidental. It's great that they've been in prison and they will be in prison for some a couple of them for for really a relatively long time. But I think the general feeling is that they almost don't matter if we can get to the guy who who ordered the hit and the guy who actually did the killing. Um, these are the sort of support, if I can put it that way. And uh, I think, we, unfortunately, you know, when you as you go up the line, you get to more protection. So it's going to be difficult, more difficult to get to get to them. Yes. But I, I think from what they're saying is that we got stuff out of them in, in exchange. Well, I, hope, I, I very much hope that that is the case. Um, we, uh, you know, the, when, 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 when a whistleblower is killed, it is so corrosive to the entire fabric of the, of society and the good function of everything. Um, it is a affront to the entire sort of good workings of government and society that just cannot stand. And so really whoever is responsible for ordering this hit for buying this hit needs to go to prison for a very long time. Um, Kerry, I've been very concerned this year about the rise of assassinations, particularly politically linked assassinations. Um, you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, in the last few years, there has been a, a escalation in uh, assassinations. South Africa is in many ways becoming a mafia state with extortions on the rise um, and and with assassinations in Gauteng now exceeding the number of ex assassinations in KwaZulu-Natal. And KwaZulu-Natal used to be the hotspot for such crimes. And the, 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 the big problem that we also have in South Africa is the fact that our uh, detectives, we have very poor quality of detectives. Many of them don't know how to gather evidence for, for court purposes. Uh, many detectives lack resources, and there's a huge um, DNA backlog. And um, and then on the other hand, you also have um, corrupt police officials. Um, many um, high-priced hitmen, um, you know, pay money to to police to to keep quiet or to um, you know lose court dockets um, in order for the case to be thrown out of court. So um, on, on, in terms of those two factors, it's going to be very difficult to, to stem the rise of assassinations uh, in this country. And I think um, between 2000 and 2021, there have been more than 2,000 um, uh, reported uh, assassinations. But I think that's also... Um, 
uh, uh, undercount. But but yeah, we uh, our our security forces are severely lacking in in resources and in, in terms of just having the 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 ability to to um, remove corruption within the the police force, and uh, that's helping this problem to stay alive, um, uh, unfortunately. Sorry, do you have any final thoughts on this before we move on? No, just to say, I think I think the the expertise that there is will be applied is being applied to this case, and it's two things. One is if you're going to keep a whistleblower quiet, once they've blown the whistle, and if you choose to assassinate them, and it's clearly an assassination, it's a classic assassination, the spotlight is going to turn on you, and the public expectation is that you know some decent skills are brought to bear on this. Um, the level of corruption, the the you know, I think I think it, I think it goes into the billions at this point at uh, Tembisa. Oh God, not to mention you know the the, the other hospitals in in under the Gauteng Health Department banner. Um, but you know, it's 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 a big one. It's probably the biggest one. So it's I I think they will sort of they'll probably pull a couple of guys out from retirement for this one. I definitely hope so. Um, and I suspect, however, that as we get higher to the top, we're going to get closer to people with political connections, serious political connections. And that's where the real test of this stuff is going to be, yeah, uh, exactly. is do the people who are politically connected to this thing go down for it? Um, and public pressure must continue until that, uh, that, that stage is reached. Because, as I said, it's really bad when whistleblowers are killed. Okay, um, let's move on to a better story um and this is that there is i think to my somewhat surprise uh, some good news from the anc-led coalition in johannesburg which says that it is uh, that it believes that city power will have a slightly lower tariff for johannesburg residents because they are buying um, electricity from four independent power producers who are not connected to escom now there's still some things to be done here. Uh, two of the four IPPs apparently still have to register with the National Energy Regulator of South Africa, NERSA, which is notoriously slow. So I would not be surprised if there are some delays. Um, the CEO of City Power, and I think this is probably a little bit optimistic, said that they would begin feeding into the grid in about two to three months. They're going to give a total of 92 megawatts of power, which is not that much. But um, it is still definitely something. And... Um, it's, uh, I think, definitely a step in the right direction. We know that Cape Town, I think, has been one of the bigger cities that's been leading the way in purchasing power from independent power producers in an effort to get off the load shedding schedule entirely. Uh, the DA in the city, um, the DA councillor Nicole van Dyke, said that uh, this was a very good move. And in fact, it was working on plans that uh, the anti ANC coalition government um, had. Uh, developed back in 2022. Um, she said, we have long been pushing for IPPs in the city to alleviate load shedding. Currently, the city faces an enormous electricity backlog. Uh, so, good news. Um, I think, you know, the, the devil is in the implementation here. But, Kerry, um, uh, what do you make of this? This seems like um, a very important step towards decentralizing the power network across South Africa and getting us out of load shedding, you know, before the end of time, because if we have to wait for ESCOM to be finished, we're going to grow very old. 
No, um, absolutely. It is uh, a good news story. Um, does it, uh, and, and you know, it, it, it is, as you're saying, it's happening under uh, an ANC administration in Johannesburg. Uh, does it say that the ANC is becoming more reformist-minded? I mean, a lot of people thought that, you know, with the new Ramaphosa administration, the ANC is going to bring in a lot of reforms, including in the area of energy and uh, logistics. But I think it's just a simple case of things have gotten so bad, uh, things have gotten so close to collapse that um, the ANC now has to be honest with itself, that it has to uh, allow for um, some decentralization in terms of services to take place. But I don't think this is the ANC necessarily turning a new page. It's just things have gotten so bad, so desperate um, that uh, the, the ANC is now forced to kind of like take uh, a step aside. But um, th this is a, a small step in the right direction, but we're still way off in um, effectively dealing with the power crisis. There's still lots of uh, legislation and regu regulatory barriers that's uh, making it difficult for the private sector to essentially um, help to alleviate not only the, the power crisis, but uh, the multiple crises in, in um, logistics, water infrastructure. Um, but um, yeah, I think uh, uh, th this is a good... Uh, first step, and um, hopefully we'll see it uh, spread across uh, more municipalities in the country. I actually think in Johannesburg, at this point, especially when we're in the lower stages of load shedding, the bigger problem is actually just the rotten infrastructure, um, particularly in some of the older suburbs, where so little has been done in terms of capital expenditure to replace failing infrastructure. Um, or when there is capital expenditure done, it's not done that well. And so you get sort of shoddy workmanship, even when stuff is newer, that there is an enormous amount of, uh, there's also, of course, an enormous amount of vandalism, but there are an enormous number of unplanned outages. I've been talking to various of our colleagues here um, who live around Gauteng, but quite a few in Johannesburg. I know, of course, a lot of people in Johannesburg. I live in Johannesburg. And over the past year, the number of multi-day outages caused usually by the, the malfunction or the vandalization of many substations across the city has been absolutely insane. And so while I think this is a very good effort, uh, a very good you know move to sort of decentralize and get away from ESCOM, the much bigger problems remain, which is that city power is not really dealing with the massive infrastructure backlog that it has. Um, and you know there's so much corruption involved in the, in the repair of a lot of this infrastructure when stuff is fixed, it's fixed for far too much money. Um, Sorry, what do you make of all this? Well, funny, just to say, on, just to comment on your last point, um, you know, the, to make money out of, uh, you know, being contracted to deal to deal with the infrastructure. I mean, it strikes me just to throw it out there that you know you've got all these complex tender requirements in the in government, and yet somehow. 
you know, you can you can tie us up in knots, but you can't prevent it from corruption from happening. Um, Look, if if, if I can just say something on yeah. that point, um, this is actually I think I think Helen Ziller was the first person to write about this sort of in the public eye. But the Municipal Financial Management Act places a huge regulatory and sort of bureaucratic burden on everyone to make sure that they're doing things correctly um, when they spend money. And yet it doesn't help the lick because no one ever gets in trouble for not following the rules. So the people who are trying to follow the rules, they follow the rules. It makes everything 400 times slower. And the people who are not following the rules just ignore them. No, I mean, you know, I'm I'm sort of uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek, you know, said that, you know, why don't they just get three quotes from, you know, infrastructure repair people and go for the... The, the most suitable quote, and you know, you can do it and you can get it done in two days. Uh, I mean, we we all do that, you know, whatever. Anyway, so th- there's one thought, but I think what what we're dealing with is, and this is one of the huge faults. I don't know whether it's an ignorance, an arrogance, all of the above, none of the above, um, on the part of the ANC, is that they were they knew years ago that the infrastructure would have to be maintained. And in some areas, replaced because of age. And it's been a completely reactive uh, response from the from the ANC. So I think this thing with the electricity is nice. It's a, it's a symbol of something. How long NERSA will take, I do not know. They've got to, um, you know, if, if we change governments, they've got to deal with do with something with NERSA. Um, it, it indicates what can be done. I think what's more impressive probably in Johannesburg has been the extent to which private citizens have gone solar and are creating excess that can that when it can get onto the grid can be put onto the grid. But I mean the grid in, in itself is a huge infrastructural problem. Um, so it's it's a like it is a nice little good news story, but it it's it's a it's a very little drop in the ocean. Right. Um, but the principle here is a very good one, which is decentralizing the network. Uh, and the more municipalities do that, we might actually, you know, that combined with private efforts to, you know, set up solar panels on people's houses and factories being able to create their own generators and things, that we might actually be able to sort of fix our way out of uh, load shedding without having to wait for ESCOM to get its stuff together. Well, Gary, if any, I can just uh, say, any, there was, yeah. sorry, just before you go, um, Davi Ruth said ESCOM's broken, it's finished, it's, it's insolvent, it's you know, it's gone. It's dead as a dodo. Right. Um, Kerry, any final thoughts on this? No, I think um, we we may in in future experience maybe a level of two less load shedding because so many um, households and businesses that have the means are now um, going off the off the grid. But you know, it's still it's still a double tax. That, that businesses and people have to pay in this this country. So even if we alleviate the the, the power crisis, it's um, if you make an investment here, it's going to be more costly than in other countries. Yeah, no, that's definitely something to bear in mind. Um, and there's so many areas where that's true, right? You have to get private security, you have to get private healthcare. In many cases, uh, some people think you probably need to also get private education if you can afford it, uh, private electricity. I mean, <laughs> in some parts of the country, you need private water. Uh, and all of that is on top of the taxes we already pay. So uh, it's a very inefficient system. But I think 
um, with any luck, uh, we'll we'll still be able to get to a better position uh, mm -hmm. as as state as the sort of state ineptitude fades fades away because it's just you know no one has to rely on the government anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, let's move on to our last story, or maybe second last story. We'll see. Uh, and this is just a little discussion about the gas fields in Pumalanga. So it is becoming increasingly clear that there is an enormous amount of gas underneath Mpumalanga uh, and in possibly other parts of the country as well. And this can be extracted. Uh, the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy is very excited about this. And they say that uh, gas could be a key resource used in the transition towards decarbonizing the economy. Um, the CEO of the Industrial Gas Users Association, Yako Human, has weighed in on the discovery saying, uh, quote, we are an energy scarce nation. We import most of our fuel. We want to wean ourselves off coal over time and we need to keep decarbonize as a nation. I do think that it will ultimately be a game changer, the uh, gas fines in Pumalanga. We are competent in the development of this. It is located where infrastructure is already in place and we could certainly help. We could certainly tap into this resource. So I think that there's a lot of opportunities to be gained from from something like gas. You know, it's a, it's a nice, powerful energy mineral resource, resource, very, you know, good for creating cheaper industries and, and fueling cleaner electricity, all that kind of stuff. Um, but Sarah, my my feeling is that in a lot of this, the devil is kind of in the details. You know, there are plenty of countries around the world which are blessed with, for example, large oil reserves or, or other kinds of mineral resources. But the, the society they live in actually remains poor because of the way that the government kind of uh, sits on these resources and just extracts rents from them without developing much else. Um, you know, Nigeria is a great example of that where huge amounts of corruption is done around the oil fields there. Uh, and Nigerians tend to see relatively little of that money. What do you, what do you make of these gas fines and, and what's the best way to, to profit from them? Well, um, look, they, they look they look exciting. I mean, they regard gas as a transitional as a, as a transition fuel. Although I think it it'll be our fuel of last resort at this stage. Um, theoretically, it's 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 great. The, the concerns as to whether it will be properly uh, ex exploited are one is that it should not be run by the government. Um, Two is that NERSA and the, and the Department of Mineral and Energy Affairs actually need to give the necessary permissions and author, authorization much more quickly than, I mean, they, you know, they are notor both notorious for doing absolutely nothing. Um, I'm sure that the government will not want to give it to the private sector, but if it wants to get things done and done properly and done relatively quickly, um, it should... It, it cannot be. It, it must not be in the hands of uh, mineral and energy affairs. Um, and then, of course, there's the possibility. I don't know enough about what, how gas um, production works and, and getting it up and running. But of course, there are the um, lobby groups, the anti, the green lobby groups, who've been very successful in, in, in um, you know, looking, you know, the, the, the search for minerals and oil uh, on the basis of either it affecting the environment or it um, being not being beneficial to the to the communities. They, they, they do it very well. They are very well resourced for it. And I think it's all overseas funding. Um, but, you know, as I say, it may or may not be an issue depending on, on what needs to be done. But I, I, I suspect they will come out of the woodwork and we must be prepared for it. 
Right. You could very easily see a, a scenario where a bunch of very big companies pay off a number of connected BE partners, and then the whole thing just becomes an inefficient mess where uh, you know, you're extracting this gas, but it's basically being extracted at the same price as the coal. And so what's the point of any of this? And it's all just not very useful at all. Um, Kerry, what do you make of this? Um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I don't have much to add. I'll, I'll just say that um, I concur with what Sara said, that, um, you know, with uh, NERSA and the Department of Mineral and Energy Affairs being always slow to act, uh, in these industries, um, it's just going to uh, create a major obstacle to really t uh, properly exploit these these gas fields. And um, yeah, I think uh, in uh, the the regulatory environment is still pretty bad as well. Um, and you know, they say that they do have the, the the infrastructure already in place, but I think South Africa has seen its infrastructure really age and collapse in in, in many ways. So I wouldn't, um, you know, see that as uh, a, a positive. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm uh, skeptical if South Africa can really fully take advantage um, of this um, valuable resource. But Sarah, the one thing that this resource, I think, does possibly allow um, is that if a more efficient, less corrupt, less uh, uh, ideologically driven, or at least you know, toxically ideologically driven party came into power, you know, maybe if the coalition wins next year, that something like this could be a really important asset in actually getting the country out of the economic situation it's in. You know, the revenues from uh, big gas fields or, or something like that could be used, I think, to stabilize the financial ship of South Africa. Do you agree with that? No, no I, I, I do agree. And I mean, you know, I don't know how, how many years it would take to, to come on stream, but you've got South Africa producing its own source of energy that is other than coal. Um, I don't see coal being given up on any time soon, but that gives us... A, a, it, it changes the dynamic somewhat, and uh, um, it changes the dynamic with regard to what the sort of uh, first world wants of us and expects of us, um, which I think is generally fairly unrealistic, but be, it, be that as it may. Um, I mean, I don't know enough details about it, and I'd probably have to have some of the fine, fine print sort of explained to me, but I agree with you. It, it, it could potentially if it's not stuffed around, it could potentially be very good for us because we've had, we have, we don't have the sort of fines that so many other African countries have with regard to the provision of energy. Right. Um, so I think this is just a useful reminder of the incredible, uh, you know, the incredible resources and things that South Africa does actually still have to call on. And that if we begin to get things right in our economic policy, uh, ah, my part's just gone off. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? Um, if we begin to get things right in infrastructure, in economic policy, stuff like that, we have a lot of stuff to call on which will be able to get us out of the mess. Uh, and I think that's Breaking worth... Exactly. There's, the, there's this all something to keep in mind um, as, we, uh, as we look at a period of political transition that we may be heading into. Anyway, something to think about, but I think we're going to call it there. So thank you very much, everyone, for watching. We hope that you found the show interesting. And we will be back on Monday with another Daily French show. Cheers, everyone.